Hi, before you watch this message, we want to invite you to support our ministry. We are currently working to raise $2 million by September 2021 to break ground on our first permanent home in over 10 years of bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. Our building will allow us to do so much more with our ministry, including improving the quality of the messages you enjoy here every week. To learn more and donate, visit morethanabuilding.org. All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to part four in our series, More Than a Building, where we are answering the question, what does it mean to be the church and to be a church? And the reason why we're asking this, if you're just tuning in for the first time, is because STSA, we're about to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, okay, just as when the calendar turns to 2022. And as we approach that 10-year anniversary, we now get to talk about this, what you see up here on the screen, maybe you haven't seen this, if you haven't driven by 2640 Sherlington Road, that's a piece of land, okay, sign on it that says future home, I know you can barely see it right there, it says future home of St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church, and yes, if you want to clap, you can clap, absolutely. God willing, we will begin digging very soon, we'll start to see some, some progress on the land. And as we mentioned earlier, we'll have uh, His Grace Bishop Peter is going to be coming doing a prayer there in a couple weeks. And most importantly, we have a mailbox, okay? That's why I took that picture right there when I went. We have a mailbox. I didn't even know what our address was, but we have a mailbox. So if anyone wants to send us something, you can just go ahead and stick it there. I'll swing by there and pick it up just for the sake of who gets to be the one to send the first piece of mail to STSA. You can be that if, that, if you'd like. But while we are about to begin construction, we have to ask ourselves a question, okay? And that's where this series comes from. And the question that we're asking is this, is what is church? And the reason that we're asking this is because, as I said several times throughout this series, is now that we're about to have a building, some people have this idea of, okay, that's great. Now you get to be a real church because now you're going to have a building. And that made me ask the question, wait a minute, does that mean for the past 10 years we haven't been a real church? Is the church just a building or is it more? And obviously, by the name of the series, More Than a Building, you know my answer. My answer is, heck yeah, the church is more than just a building. Because I know this, that we may not be a real church with a building, but for the past 10 years, the people are real. The relationships are real. The spirit is real. Man, these gray, gray hairs in my beard are real. So don't tell me the church isn't real. What I believe, and as I've been saying throughout this series, is the church is, more about, is less about the building that we meet in and more about the purpose that we meet for. And that's why we're doing this series here on our core values at STSA. And what does it mean to be STSA church? What does it mean to be a member of this church? What does it mean that we are the church here, the body of Christ? And what we're doing is we're going through our core values. Because when this church first began 10 years ago, God gave like an inspiration and we came up with 10 core values. And I believe those 10 core values are what guide everything that we do and will continue to guide what we do beyond when I'm gone and you're gone and our children are gone, STSA will live on through these core values. So just for the sake of recap, I know we've gone through this every week, but I think we're really good to have these things ingrained. Let's go quick recap over the first three core values that we talked about the last three weeks because they are the foundation upon which we will build every single week going forward. Who remembers what our first core value was? First core value is? Limitless acceptance. Someone said unlimited, but limitless, very good, that's fine. Limitless acceptance, let's read it all together. I wanna to hear everyone reading. It says, we believe that every person who enters our church 
is the most important person in the world. That person is sent by God and should be loved and accepted as such. It's very simple. The, the, the foundation of this church is I'm here today because somebody accepted me when I didn't deserve to be accepted. Somebody up above accepted me and somebody right here in the church community accepted me when I didn't deserve it. So therefore, we're going to treat others as we've been treated. And the foundation of this church is limitless acceptance. We accept, we treat, we love as Christ did for us. That's a non-negotiable. Second core value, who remembers what it is? Begins with an A. Authentic community. Very good. Let's read it all together. And I want to hear you out in Leesburg. I want to hear you reading it with me too. It says, we believe God created the church to fulfill our relational needs in addition to our spiritual needs. We reject superficiality in relationship with one another just as we reject superficiality in our relationship with God. Second core value, authentic community is very simple, is that we are here to be authentic in our relationships. Here, this one's easy. We know we don't want to be superficial here. Well, I'm saying here is just as important because God said it is not good for man to be alone. So the church is not just to help us to pray and be in isolation and be by ourselves. That's not what a family is all about, is to be together and united together in true fellowship. We don't want superficial here. We don't want superficial here. The third core value kind of takes that, that, that second one takes it to the next level. Our unity and our relationship here is not based on common interests. Okay, God knows we have a very diverse group. We're diverse in how we believe politically and how we think about the world. We have different, we have Cowboys fans and Redskins or Washington football team fans. We got all kinds of diversity right here. But what unites us is what? Who remembers our third core value? It's a long one. It begins with a T. Transformational communal worship. Read it with me. It says this says, we gather to be transformed. I don't hear anybody reading except myself. Everyone, again, back in Leesburg, I want to hear you guys too here in Arlington. I want to hear you. We gather to be transformed by the real presence of God in our midst every time we meet. Liturgical prayer is not just a routine. It is life-giving and real. It is the center of our life as a family. What unites us together isn't just that, like I said, we have common interests or we all like the same football teams or anything like that. What unites us is the table of the Lord. And every time we gather, we know that he's in our midst. <clears throat> now today, we're going to go to the next core value. And I'll tell you right off the bat, all the core values are the best. But this one's the best. They're all the best, but this one is the best. This is the one. That, okay, if you took the membership group and you heard me tell the story about how God inspired these core values, I told you how God gave nine core values and I really felt they were inspired by God and God left me with nine and I felt like it was his way of saying, why don't you play as well? He gave me a chance to participate and this is the one that I wrote for myself and this is the best. I could give a four, I could speak for four weeks in a row on this one and not get tired of it because the best core value, they're all the best, but this one is the best is this. Faith-filled vision. Read it with me. We believe in a big God. And we, no, nobody said big. We say big. You don't say big. You say big. Okay, we believe in a what God? We believe in a big God altogether. We believe in a big God. And we rely on him to do extraordinary things in our lives. We are not surprised when God does a miracle. Watch this. We are more surprised when he doesn't. What's the best core value? Faithful vision is the best core value. They're all the best, but this one is the best. Because we believe in a big God. And we believe and we rely on him to do extraordinary things. We're not surprised when God does a miracle. We're more surprised when he does it. Now, before I get and talk about faith-filled vision and faith and what does it mean and rely on God for extraordinary, let me tell you a little bit about myself in case you don't know me. I am not, before you jump to any conclusions, 
I'm not a pie in the sky or head in the sky or pie in whatever it may be. I'm not the just like, yeah, everything's going to be fine. I'm not the just the eternal optimistic person. That's not me. Because most people who preach about faith that I hear don't convince me. Because most of it is you just have to believe. And if you doubt, you're a sinner. So as soon as you raise your hand and say, what if sinner? And that person sinned because he doubted. Throw him out. That's not me. In fact, who's the most cynical person in this room? You're looking at him. I doubt everything. I doubt everyone. I may not say it with my mouth because I'm a priest, but in here, I'm questioning your story when you're telling me the story about anything, okay? But I'll say this. I believe that faith is more logic than you think. Faith is not just blind, optimistic, hoping, wishing. That's not, the, that's not my faith. When I say we believe in a big God and we're allowing him to do extraordinary, it's not, well, I really, really hope or I really, really wish. That's not faith. To me, faith is logic. And I believe that it's not what I can't see that convinces me to believe. It's what I can see. And I'll prove it to you. But before I prove it to you, I want to give you one fact upon which my faith in God is based. One fact. And you'll agree with me on this fact. And then we'll break down this fact. And this fact seems so like intuitive and it's so easy. You're going to say, Father, anything that's so simple. But sometimes the most important things are the things that are simple that we overlook. The fact of life is this. God is not like us. Anybody disagree with this? God is not like us. God is, as I wrote in, in your handout, for those who are following in the handout, he is infinitely incomprehensible, inconceivable, and unimaginable. Again, he is infinitely incomprehensible, can't be understood, inconceivable, can't even be grasped by our mind, and unimaginable. In the beginning, you know the story. God made man in his image. That's what it says, Genesis chapter one. God made man in his image. Ever since then, man has been making God in our image. We were created in the image of God, and that's the way it's supposed to be. But ever since then, we have been creating God in our own image, meaning we create a God in our minds, and unfortunately, we teach it to others as well, which is essentially just a bigger version of ourselves. We think this is how I am, so this is how God must be, but just a little bit better. So I'm a nice person. So God must be a really nice person. I'm nice. God is a little bit better. God is really nice. I get sad when I see people are mistreated. So God must get really sad when he sees people are mistreated. I like my kids most of the time. So God must love us, his children, all of the time. You see how this works? The result of it is, is a God who looks a lot like me. And here's the problem, is that me and you are different. And me and you look different, me and you talk different, me and you think different. But in the end, we each end up creating our own God, who, like I said, just happens to think the way I think. Happens to view the world the way I view it. Probably votes the way I would vote too, but I'm going to leave that one aside. And on the surface, this seems like, yeah, it's like the right thing. But let me show you why this is problematic. Let's go a little bit deeper. I said, I'm nice, he's really nice. I get hurt with this, he gets really hurt, okay? But let's go a little bit deeper. 
I hold a grudge when somebody hurts me. Does that mean God holds grudges? When people hurt him? I give people a second chance, a third chance. I'll give you four chances. But at some point, there's a limit with my chances. Does that mean there's a limit with God? So my limit is four or five. God's maybe like seven or eight, or maybe nine or 10, or no, he's really big, Father Anthony. So it's like 11 or 12, but there's a limit, right? I can't do anything about X. So therefore, God probably can't do it either. Because if I could do something about it, I would. And if God is kind of like me, then if he could, he would, but he doesn't, so maybe he can't. You see where this is problematic? The biggest mistake you can make is thinking God is like us. You can look at a child. Okay, follow me here. You can look at a child and you can learn about the father by studying the child. But you can't do the, op I'm sorry, the opposite. You can look at the father and learn about the child by looking at the father. So you can see here's the father and you can see some of him inside the child. But that doesn't mean that any characteristic in the child must be the same as the father. For example, let's say I have a kid and he cries all the time. I have a baby and the baby cries. Okay, that baby over there, that baby cries. So the parents must be crybabies because the baby's crying all the time and the baby is spitting up. So the parents must be slobs, absolute slobs. We look at ourselves and one another and we see weakness. And unfortunately, we take that same weakness and we extrapolate it out to God, but nothing could be further than the truth. And I'm here to tell you that I believe personally, your greatest problem in life, this is the root of it. Your greatest problem in life. You tell me what your greatest problem in life and I will tell you this is the root of it. Because you, by your greatest problem in life, define the size of your God. Because if you say, this is my greatest problem right here and this is the thing, then I'll tell you, you've made God just one notch lower. You tell me what it is that keeps you up at night. You tell me what it is that stress and anxiety. You tell me your greatest problem and I will tell you exactly the size of your God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 gives us a beautiful verse. God says, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Earlier I told you, it's not what I can't see, it's what I can see. My faith is based not on wishing. My faith is based on logic and what my eyes can see in front of me. So this verse says, lift up your eyes on high, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. So let's do that together. Let's lift up our eyes on high. If you were able to go up in a very, very, very big airplane or spaceship or whatever it may be, and you look down, this is what you'd see. You see a picture of the earth. Now I want everyone to look at this earth and I want you to find yourself on this earth. Can you see it? This is obviously a very small representation of the earth, but find yourself. And when you find yourself, I want you to find your biggest problem. And I want you to draw it on there. Put a pin in it as the kids say these days. Look at this map, look at this picture of the earth and tell me your biggest problem, how big it is and how overpowering it is. And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna zoom out a little bit. You know that the earth is not the only planet that exists. Okay, when there's other planets, when you got a whole bunch of planets together, that's called a solar system, very good. Okay, and this is just science, okay, not, this is not spiritual. And if you look at our solar, just our solar system, which is one of many, many, 
just our solar system alone, just the one that's right here, just like the neighborhood block, you see that big earth, and now can you see your big problem on there still? Do you see it? Everyone can zoom in, you see it right there? Like find where that big problem is that is so big and it can't be handled because all this stuff, God fits it in his pocket. Okay, this is just the solar system that we know. We know that our solar system isn't the only one. And we know that there's many solar systems and many things. And including in our solar system is the sun. And the sun makes all them big planets look pretty small. And in fact, right here, again, there's the sun, there's Jupiter, there's the earth. The earth looks like a booger coming out of the sun's nose is what that is, okay? It's the size of a, of a nose booger coming out here. And again, do you see yourself on there? Can you see it? See the big problem that's like, well, how's God gonna be able to? Do you see it? Because it's still there. But hey, while we're at it and we're having fun with science, let's go even bigger. Let's go outside even of our own galaxy. Or of our, yeah. So right here, that's the sun that we looked at a second ago. That's the Jupiter, the one pixel Earth invisible. And here's another sun called Arcturus. And I never heard of Arcturus, but Arcturus could squash our sun like a bug. And if Arcturus, if our sun, our huge sun, which we just saw, faced Arcturus, it would say, no, please don't hurt me, Mr. Arcturus. You're too big and you're too scary. Do you still see your problem? Do you still see it? Look here, this sun Arcturus is 36.7 light years away. 36.7 light years away. Do you know how far 36.7 light years is? Light years means, help me out here, science people, it's a long time since I took physics, but this is what I remember. A light year means the distance that light travels in a year. Is that correct? So like, for example, the speed of light. I flick the switch, the light goes on over here, and the whole room can see it. So that's like the speed of light. It goes from there to there and like, boop. So 36.7 light years away is this sun Arcturus. Means that if you could take a picture of Arcturus, if you could take a picture with your camera, it had a really good zoom. You could take a picture of Arcturus. You would be looking into the past because a beam of light that left Arcturus and came to this earth would take 37 years. Means it'd be a picture from 1984. And just to put it in perspective, light from the sun gets to earth, how quickly? Eight minutes. Light from Arcturus gets to earth in 37 years. Lift your eyes on high. Who has created all these things? But that's just Arcturus. Arcturus isn't even the biggest kid on the block. The biggest star that they've discovered is this one here called Antares, okay? And his younger brother, Betelgeuse, or it seems to be his name or whatever it is. But you see, okay, you got the sun is invisible. You got Arcturus, the big guy. He's a nobody. He's a pipsqueak. Betelgeuse is the vice president, and Antares is the real president, the real bully on the block. And how big is Antares? Or I'm sorry, how far away is he? He is 619.7 light years away. Let's go 620, let's round up. 620 light years, do you know what that means? That means that a beam of light which travels from there to there like that instantaneously would start at Antares and would travel to Earth in 620 years. That means that today, if you were to leave here, speed of light, go to Antares, you would arrive in the year 2,161. And all this, is in the palm of God's hands. You've heard of the Hubble telescope, launched in 1990, travels around the earth at a speed of five miles per second. Do you know how fast five miles per second is? Five miles per second means you could go from DC to LA in 10 minutes, five miles per second. That's how fast this Hubble telescope is going around the earth. It can see trillions of miles away. 
And one of the classic pictures that you may have seen this picture before that came to us from the Hubble telescope is this. Each of these dots, these tall, these tall specks, these short, these, these bright specks, you know what that is? It's not a sun. It's not a star. It's a galaxy. And in this picture alone, there are more than 3,000 galaxies, not planets, not stars, galaxies. And one of the smallest ones is the Milky Way itself, which is ours. How big is the Milky Way? The Milky Way is 100,000 to 180,000 light years in diameter. Means to start at one end of the, the Milky Way and go to the other, take you 100,000, 180,000 years if you're traveling the speed of light. And that's a speck on this. Let's go back to what I said earlier. We often think that we got big problems and a small God. Our problem is so big, our God is so small. You see your problem there? Still see it? Because all this fits in God's pocket, like I said. All this stuff is he created just like in, in, in a commercial break, he created this stuff. And this is what we discovered. This doesn't even count the stuff that we haven't even discovered. So now let's go back with this in our mind. And let's read that same verse again. But maybe we'll see it in a slightly different context. To whom then will you liken me? Or whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created all these things. When I say we believe in a big God and we rely on him to do extraordinary things in our lives, we're not surprised when he does a miracle. We're more surprised when he doesn't. When I say that, that is not based on faith. That is based on fact that God is a big God who is not like us and he's created all these things. And the greatest tragedy in life is someone whose God gets smaller and smaller every day, whose problems get bigger and whose God gets smaller. But that's not going to be us. That's not going to be us, SDSA. That's not going to be us. I feel like this is my job in life. People come to me with problems. People come to me with stuff. I don't have any solution. I don't know anything. I can barely solve my own problems. Like, I can't do nothing about yours. But my job is simply to remind you of the perspective that put that problem in the midst, in front of a big God, and then all of a sudden, it seems a lot smaller. The question that we're going to talk about here today, we believe in a big God. We rely on him to do extraordinary things. The big God part, I'm done with that. By now, you're convinced God is a big God. God is not like us. But now, how does that translate to the second half of the core value, which is we rely on him to do extraordinary things? Yes, we believe in a big God in theory, but how do we translate that so that you and me together, we rely on him to do extraordinary things? How do I translate my fear or I look at it and say, I'm afraid of planes and I'm afraid of flying. So if someone convinces me, no, it's safe, safe, that's good. Uh, the, the, the engine, whatever, the track. Okay, so I got it up here, but how now do I get in the plane? And how now do I launch out? That's what we want to talk about right now. How do we turn the knowledge of a big God into a life of trusting in God and relying on him? And to do that, we're going to ask for some help from a man named Joshua. Joshua from the Old Testament, probably know his story. But for those who don't, Joshua was a successor to Moses. You've definitely heard of Moses before. Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, great movie. Moses did so many things for God's people, but he never led them into the promised land. That was Joshua's job. Moses got him out of Egypt and got them to the brink of it. And then he went, out, went away and it was Joshua's job as a successor to lead the people across the border 
into the land that God said, this is going to be your future home. Let's read a passage from Joshua chapter one, just to give us context of when God gives Joshua this commission. It says this, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be, listen to how great these promises are. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people, you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. This is great promises. God is saying, this is going to be a piece of cake. Don't worry about the Hittites and the Parasites and all those Hittites. Don't worry about none of those guys. I got you. Any place you touch, I got you. You got the land. I think, if this were me, and I'm sitting across the river, okay, on the other side of the walls of Jericho, all the way over there, and God's giving me this in my quiet time, I'm like, yes, this is great. This is going to be great. God is going to give this to us. But I would imagine that when I got close to the city, and I saw the walls of the city, and I looked at the army of the Canaanites with their sophisticated weaponry, and I looked back at my ragtag bunch, who was not an army, trained with, with, with weapons and skilled. What was my group of guys? A bunch of complaining shepherds. That's what they were. They were born and raised in the wilderness. No military, no weapons, no training. And you know what? God in my quiet time said, you're going to be just fine. And I believed it. And then I stood in front of them. And then all of a sudden I said, I don't know how this is going to work. Because I got a weak army, and they got a strong army. They got a city fortified with big walls. I'm just down here. Like, I'm vulnerable. I got nothing. They have weapons. We have sheep. Sheep don't beat weapons. So I would imagine that if I'm in Joshua's shoes, and God promised me this, I said, don't worry. I'm going to give it to you. It's a lot easier to accept in my quiet time versus when I got there in reality. So if I'm Joshua, I'm approaching and I see that big wall and I say to the people, don't worry. I say to you people, don't worry. God's got it. I have no doubt that as soon as we get there, God's going to give us weapons. No doubt. 8K47 is going to drop from heaven, okay? Like the manna and the quail, boom, machine guns. There we go. Or you know what? Nuclear weapons. He's God. Like why didn't he give it? Or maybe like, I don't know, maybe like he sends like, you know, itching powder to rain on all them and they'll be all itchy or something. Like, I don't know what it is, but I'm Joshua. And what I'm saying is, don't you worry. Our God is a big God and he's going to take care of everything. And I'm sure he's got this thing worked out. And then we get there in front of the walls. God did a miracle to cross the Jordan River. God took care of us and God brought us to the walls. And now God says, we're going to go to Joshua chapter six. God says, I got you. I got the strategy for you. Listen up. Here's the strategy of how you, as a group of shepherds, with no training and no weapons, are going to take down this mighty army and storm the city. You ready for the strategy? That's what he says. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. No one went out, none went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and all the mighty men of valor. This is great. God is saying, 
Here you go, Joshua. This thing is yours. Okay, God, what do you got in store? Verse three. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around all the city once. This you shall do six days. And the seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. How do you feel about that strategy? Joshua, they got weapons. Don't worry about their weapons. Joshua, they got the position of height, and we're down low. They can just throw rocks at us. Don't worry about the rocks. Joshua, they're trained. Don't worry. Because we got a great strategy. What's our strategy? We're going to march around the city with picket signs and say, please let us in. Please let us in. They're going to walk around the city even more vulnerable and just say, pretty, please let us in. Pretty, 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 please. And that's the great strategy? Like that's what your God came up with? And who's going to be at the front of this procession? Who's this procession going to be led by? The priests. They ain't never done nothing good for nobody. And the priests, this is the ones that all the hope is going to be them. We're holding the signs and say, please let us in. Joshua, we need to rethink this strategy. We got no shot. We're going to lose. This is crazy. What do you think Joshua would reply? I think he'd say, look, guys, we believe in a big God. And we rely on him to do extraordinary things in our lives. We're not going to be surprised if God does a miracle. We're going to be more surprised if he doesn't. Before we read what happens in the story, I think there's two key factors to living a life of faith-filled vision. There's two key factors, and they're connected to each other, but there's two key factors that if you are going to live the life of faith and you are going to experience the extraordinary work of God in your life, there's two very important things that you need to begin practicing today. They're very practical. They're not big things. They're very practical. The first one is we must learn to challenge assumptions. We must learn to challenge assumptions, meaning we all have assumptions in our mind of certain things that must take place in order for there to be certain results. For example, who said, let's challenge some assumptions if we're Joshua, who says you need an army to defeat an army? Let's say if you're Moses, who says you need a bridge to cross the sea? That's how we operate. There's a sea, I need a bridge. There's an army, I need another army. Who says, David, that you need armor to defeat a warrior? Who says, little boy, that you need anything more than five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish to feed 5,000 people? Like who said? There are certain assumptions that we make. 5,000 people need 5,000 pieces of bread. Who said? I said before that I believe our primary identity in life, I hope that you believe this, that when you say, if someone says, who are you, what are you, like you identify yourself, doctor, lawyer, engineer, doesn't matter, okay? Uh, from this family, from that family, none of that matters. Primary identity in life. Primary identity in life is I'm a member of the family of God. I'm a member of the church, the body of Christ. And when I say that, what that means is, is that I have with me at all times, in all places, in everything that I do, I'm never alone. The one who is with me is the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hands. So right off the bat, I'm walking into work, I'm walking into life, I'm walking in with different confidence because I know I'm a member of the body. I'm a member of the church and I'm never, ever, ever working on my own. The one who changed water into wine is on my team. The one who holds the universe in the palm of his hands, 
the one who walked on water, that's the one who's with me. So with that, let's see Joshua back to the story. God said, march around the city. Let's see how Joshua challenges these assumptions. Verse 12, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with, and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. Just going to pause the story right here. Obviously, spoiler alert, it works out for them. Okay, It would be a very anticlimactic sermon otherwise. But I want you to understand what it must have been like. Like, think to yourself, God's going to do this great miracle. God's going to do this great miracle. How, Joshua? We're going to march around and everything's going to be fine. Okay, so day one, we're marching. Okay, and we see them up there looking at us and we're kind of like ducking in case they throw something at us. Okay, we made it to the end of the day. Thank you, God, we didn't die. What's the next day we're going to do, Joshua? We're going to do the same thing. The day two, okay, like, okay, we're going to do it, but this time they look really angry, so we're going to do it, but like, okay, we survived day two. And then what? Do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. Okay, Joshua, we've been doing this for five, six days. It isn't working. The wall looks just as strong as it did before. Like, plan B. Like, we get it. Like, we trusted in God. We did the picketing thing. Didn't work. We need a better plan. How many times have you said that expression? We need a better plan. This isn't working, God. We need a better plan. This is silly. This is never going to get, this is a fail. This isn't working. We need a better plan. Do we need a better plan? Verse 15. Came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. So plan A was march around once. I gotcha. Plan B, March around seven times, like it's perfectly logical. Verse 16. And the seventh time, it happened. What's it happened? And the seventh time, it happened. You know what it happened is? It happened is what you're praying about. It happened is what you're waiting for. It happened is what you stopped believing that God could ever do. It happened is that problem, that relationship, that situation that could never be fixed, that'll never get healed, that'll never get solved, that it's just, it's gonna follow me for the rest of my life, that it happened. It happened. But here's the key part. It didn't happen on day one. It didn't happen on day two. It didn't happen on day three, day four, day five, day six. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you that there are some people who stop waiting for it to happen and gave up. And they spent the rest of their life saying, look, God let us down. We followed him on day one, day two, day three. We followed him for six days. We did exactly what he said to do. He left us. He left you, or you left him. It happened, and it's gonna happen, because it always happens, because we believe in a big God and we rely on him to do extraordinary things. It happens, but the question is, in your life and in their life and in all of our lives, the question is, are you going to stick around long enough to see it happen? Are you going to be there when it happens? Or will you have quit before them? Let's see the rest of the verse. Seventh time it happened when the, police blew the, when the priest blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout, the Lord has given you the city. 
So the people shouted when the police, when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the wall that the people shouted with a great shout. The wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Look here. We believe in a big God. We rely on him to do extraordinary things. We're more surprised when God doesn't do a miracle. I'd be more surprised in the end. I'm not surprised. Is anyone surprised with the end of this story? Anybody surprised? I would be more surprised if God didn't do a miracle here. I would be more surprised if they obeyed God, they trusted in God, they did what God said to do, and then God was like, yeah, sorry, I miscalculated. The wall was bigger than I thought. Like, that would be the surprise. But we believe in a big God. We're not surprised when he does a miracle. You can take that we're not surprised when he does a miracle into a selfish way, and I don't mean it in a selfish way. Like, you can say it like, yeah, God should be, you know, giving me a better job. And yet God should be solving my, that, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not the big guy we're talking about to make my life better like that, like in a selfish way. I'm talking about, I would be surprised after 10 years at this church, I would be surprised if God isn't healing broken relationships. That's more surprising to me. I'd be surprised if the blind aren't having their eyes opened in a spiritual sense. I'd be surprised if dead, those who are spiritually dead, relationally dead. Yeah, I would be shocked if they're not coming back to life because we believe in a big God and we trust in him to do extraordinary things in our lives. I'm gonna show you a verse here that if you struggle with this, this may be one of those memory verses for you. It's Luke 18, 27. Can put it up on the screen in a second, but before I put it up, what's the reference again? It's Luke 18, 27. What's the reference? It's what? Luke 18, 27. You have to memorize these kinds of verses because I'm telling you, sometimes when you're out there in the middle of the war, you need to know where your weapons are. And Luke 18, 27 is one of the most powerful verses, but I forgot the reference. Where is it from? Luke 18, 27 says this. Let's read it all together with a loud voice. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. It is impossible that shepherds would beat an army. It is impossible that a group that has no training and no expertise in anything would defeat a fortified city like Jericho. But it's even more than that. And let me ask you, what do you need to say this verse to? What is it in your life that you're saying it's impossible, it's impossible? And I'm not saying you're wrong. But what I'm saying, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Remember the picture of the Arcturus and the Antares and that stuff in his pocket? Yes, that stuff is impossible with us, but with God, it's small. So who here today, be honest, who here today needs this verse and needs to say what is impossible with men, the things which are impossible with men are possible to God. Who needs to say that in their marriage? Who needs to say the things that are impossible, I can't take it anymore. I can't solve it. This thing is over. This thing is broke. Who needs to say the things that are impossible with men are possible with God? Who is struggling with an addiction? Who is struggling to break the chains that Satan has on them? And who needs to hear this today? That yes, what is impossible with men, and you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried, and you've failed, and you got no more hope. But the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Like where's the spiritual challenge in our life? Who's got the challenge in front of them? And who is gonna be courageous enough to say, this is impossible. But I believe in a God who is bigger than anything. And I'm gonna rely on him to do extraordinary things because that's his specialty. If I can make that very personal and very practical here, this whole series is about the church. Like I said, when this church started 10 years ago, there are many people who said, you're crazy. I left a church that was very established, that was very set, very comfortable. And they said, you're going to do what? We said, our mission is to bring an ancient faith to a modern world. And many people said, you're crazy. 
Because the Orthodox Church, we love it, but come on. Orthodox Church can never be diverse. That's what people say. You're never gonna get people who weren't born into it. Like people who like have, like we have to do it because we were born into it, but you're not gonna find people who was not born into it to accept it. They said it's impossible. The services are too long, okay? The, there's too much culture and ethnicity. You dress like in a funny way. No one's ever gonna wanna come to, that's what people said. And my response, we believe in a big God. And we rely on him to do extraordinary things in our lives. We're not surprised when he does a miracle. We're more surprised when he doesn't. I would agree with everything that you said if it was my mission. And if it's like, look what I'm going to do. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. But what I'm saying is it's his mission. So if he says, I want to build a place to bring an ancient faith to a modern world, who am I to say no? That's impossible. Okay. He's God. Like his existence is impossible. Like that's like his thing. Like God, what's on your resume? Impossible. That's what he does. He gets born a virgin. Okay, death to life. That's what he does. That's his specialty. That's impossible. Perfect. Sign me up. Because that's where I know God is going to work. And I'm saying to you, what is it you, what assumptions are you facing in life that you need to challenge? Because the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Now, the second thing that we need to do, which again, very practical, which you can begin doing today to begin practice this, is dream big and pray bold. Dream big and pray bold. And when I say that, okay, there was a, a book called The Circle Maker that we read as a church several years ago. And if you remember that book, there was a line in there that, that really struck me. It said, God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. Say that one again. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. As a dad, I love that my kids think I'm a superhero. Please don't ruin their view of me by telling them I'm not a real superhero. But my kids, if something's broken, that'll fix it. If something, oh yeah, when, when dad comes home, oh, there's no problem, when dad comes home. My kids think I can do just about anything on this planet, and I'm very happy with them thinking that. Because it honors me to see them look at me that way. I remember there was a time that this got me in a little bit of trouble. Marianne remembers the time. We were going hiking together okay, as a family on vacation several years back. And we went up the mountain this way. And then we decided, I decided, okay, let's be adventurous. Let's go down the mountain a different way, a different trail. And Marianne claims, okay, claims that she kept seeing these red X's. And she claims that she told me about it. I don't remember her saying that, but she claims that she kept seeing these red X's and she probably is right because very soon the trail ended and we were in the middle of the forest. We were in the middle of nowhere, okay, with no cell phone reception, with no nothing. And we were like, we were in a bad situation. It was especially bad. We eventually made it down to the bottom. We were told that up in that area that we were lost, there was bears. Yeah, exactly. But here's the point of my story. As we're there, the trail is gone, and Marianne's saying, I don't think this is going to work. And I'm like, no, 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 don't worry. Oh, ye of little faith, okay? And I'm saying, no, no, don't worry. The grass is like this high. There's no trail. And what would happen is like Marianne, Michael, and Lizzie would be here. I'd be like, okay, stay here. And I would like run ahead like to see, like, is there anything, is this area a good direction or not go? You know, and, like, and then if it was, I would tell them to come. And you know. So I would do this. And I asked Marianne when we got down to the bottom of the mountain, or maybe that night or whatever. I said, what were the kids doing as I was running off, trying to find a path down. And she said the kids were like, oh yeah, no, no problem. That'll figure it out. That'll fix it. 
Yeah. They weren't worried for a second. Of course, she was terrified. You no, know, because I'll be honest, I was sweating a little bit right there myself. But the kids, yeah, that'll fix it. I love that. I love that. That makes me want to do anything for my kids. And I'll be honest with you. I think God is the same way. I don't think God is offended when we dream big. I think he's offended when we don't. When was the last time you asked God for something big in your life? When was the last time you said, God, I need you to part the sea on this thing. God, I need you to raise the dead here. Usually what we do is we ask small things. God, bless me, bless my kids, bless my work. God, bless those who didn't come today, make them come next week or whatever, like the standard prayer that we were taught in Sunday school. Well, I'm saying this, listen carefully to me. If your prayers are not challenging to God, if your prayers are not big, I think that is offensive. You know why? If my kids come to me and say, Dad, we can't get out of here, we need your help. Let's go, roll up the sleeves, let's go, anything for my kids. But let's say my kids come to me and say, Dad, I need you to make my bed. Dad, I need you to clean my room. That's offensive to me. Why? Because you can do that. You, I'm not your slave. I'm your father. But how many of us, let's be honest, our prayers to God, God's like, that's your job. Like we're asking God to do what we should, God is asking us to do. We need to pray big. When was the last time you prayed? For healing of division. In our country today, there's a lot of division. Politically, racially, whatever it is you want to talk about. When was the last time you stood up and said, God, I'm trusting you to do something big to heal the division that's in our country? That's a lot harder than say, God, destroy that person who disagrees with me. God, smite that person. When was the last time you prayed that God would open the door for the gospel to be preached to people who don't know it? When was the last time you opened the door or prayed that God would open the eyes of the blind people who don't know him? When was the last time you prayed that God would raise $7 million for a building from a church that has very few in number and very humble compared to all these other churches with the big doctors, whatever it may be? Big prayers don't dishonor God. I think they're the kind of prayers that make God jump out of his seat. Now, I want to make this practical for you, and I'll talk about something real quick <clears throat> that I've shared before. And the way I make this practical that I think, I think it's a very easy way to do something that's very, very valuable in your life. It's called prayer cards. You've heard me speak about this before. That when I stand to pray, what I noticed about myself, if I'm going to stand up and pray, I'm pretty much going to pray the exact same thing every time. You know, God, uh, bless me, uh, bless my kids, bless whatever. And it's just bless. We don't even know what that means. And it's the same prayer over and over. And you don't even know if it's happening or not happening because you're, you're kind of, like, you don't even know. What I believe is that we pray too much reactively and not enough proactively. So I decided I don't want to pray just to put out fires. I want to pray in an offensive way. Like, I don't want to pray just like this is happening. God, please protect me from this. I want to say like, God has blessed me so much. But this is where I want God to go. This is where I want, I'm believing God to do. And the way that you come up with that, okay, what I, what I do is I come up with prayer cards. So instead of every day, like from the top of my head, what I would do is every so often, like every two months, three months, whatever it is, I reset my prayer cards and I say, okay, I want to pray for my wife. What is it that I want to pray? And I would come up with a very thoughtful prayer with a Bible verse and say, this is what I'm praying God to do in Marianne's life. This is what I'm praying God to do in my son's life, my daughter's life. 
in our church, in myself. And I come up and I, this is a long exercise that takes me probably a whole morning or a, or a half a day or something like that. But I put a lot of thought into it. And then I just continue to pray that for the next month or two months or whatever it may be. And the way that you figure out what is it that you should pray, you ask yourself this, where do I want, let's say my kids, where do I want my kids to be in five years or 10 years? We always think of what do I want prayer to do for me by the end of today? But I think we spend too much time worrying about what we want God to do today and not enough time praying for what we got, want God to do tomorrow and at the end of the year and at the end of 20 years. Like now, we just celebrated 20 years of marriage. If you're in your first year of marriage, where do you want to be in 20 years of marriage? And you should be praying that now. So let me show you what this means. I'm going to show you some examples. And I hesitate to do stuff like this because I don't want anyone to think like I'm bragging or I'm showing. That's not like that. I'm just showing you simply some of my prayer cards. And I'm not showing you actually my current ones. I'm showing you some of my former ones that I was looking through because it's very encouraging when you look through some of these things. So I'll just put them up there just as an example. Don't take it anything more than that, okay? I'll go through these quick. Michael is my oldest son, my son, okay? And this is what I pray for him. It's 1 Timothy 4, 12. It says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love in spirit and faith and purity. That's what I pray when I pray for my son. And these are two of the bullet points, okay? There's more bullet points, but I just kept the ones that I didn't, like privacy and I don't want to get too personal here. It's a little awkward as it is, okay? I pray that Michael would be a man of honesty and integrity. That to me is important. And I pray that he would be a role model to his friends and to his world. Okay, that's my prayer for him. My daughter Lizzie is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. And that's, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. My prayer for her is to always know who she is to God and to me and to keep her heart and emotions pure. Okay, that's worthy of a little bit of an awe, right? Like a maybe, like an awe, okay? I'll get a bigger awe right here when I go for Marianne, okay? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I pray that we'd always have fun in our marriage and we'd always be best friends. And you say to that, thank you very much. And I also pray that she would always be spiritually nourished to be our rock, because I believe that when Marianne sets the tone for the house, okay? And I think so often people look at me and say great things about me, great things about our kids. The truth of the matter is the backbone is is the wife. Uh, self, okay, I pray for myself to have wisdom to, as I lead the church and God would give me purity of heart and mind and make me a man of prayer. I want when I go down six feet under that people wouldn't say he gave great sermons or he was a nice guy. That stuff doesn't, doesn't last. But I want people to say, this was a man of God, a man of prayer, and I pray that all the time. As far as the church, okay, I pray for the church in many different aspects and people individually. Obviously, I'm not going to show you those prayers. That would get very awkward. But specifically, as it, as it relates to this building campaign with this more than a building, I'm showing you what I'm praying. Okay, in Psalm 37, verse 25 is my verse. I've been young and now old. I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. I love that verse. It reminds me of like the one who trusts in God will never be put to shame. I pray that every time I pray for the church. And I'm praying that God, specifically with this building campaign, would stir hearts across the world to give generously, that we would raise $7 million by September, which is coming right around the corner. And most important, that God would richly bless and abundantly reward all those who give. In other words, I dream big and I pray bold, not because I'm anything, but because I believe it honors God. And I want to invite you to do the same for the church collectively, but also for you individually in your life, in your family, whatever it may be. Don't be afraid to pray specifics because it's specifics that show our trust in God. I'm going to show you this verse right here from Mark chapter 11, verse 23. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, whoever says to what? To this mountain specifically. 
specifically this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Whoever says to this mountain specifically, not just says, hey, any mountain God you want to move, who prays specifically, prays boldly. I want that to be us. Refuse to think small. Let's dream big and pray bold. Again, I'll get you one more quote right here. Also came from that same book. It said, the greatest moments of life are when human impotence and divine omnipotence intersect. Boom. And that's where we are together. Last thing I'll say, because I'm out of time right here, is that here at STSA, as I said earlier, we have a dream. And our dream is that we're not here just for ourselves. Okay, that's why we put these sermons online and lots of people watching online and people all over the place. We're not just here for ourselves. Our dream, our mission is to bring an ancient faith to a modern world. And we believe that God has given to us something very special and God wants to take that and expand upon that. And now, specifically now in 2021, after 10 years of being a portable church, God has opened up a door a golden opportunity to have a building, a permanent home for ourselves. It's not so that we can be comfortable. It's not for those of us who are just sitting right here. It's so that we can have a presence in the community. It's so that we can have an authentic sanctuary for the authentic Orthodox worship. It's so that our kids aren't sitting on the floor and in college classrooms. It's so that we can do a better job of, of with, the, with the well here and reaching more people online for Christ. But to get there, we got a big task. And our task, all together, faith-filled vision, is we are going to pray that God would provide. We need to raise $2 million by September in order to be able to accomplish that goal. And you say, that's a huge task. And I say, yes, but realize a year ago, we started our goal with 7 million and now it's down to two. So while it sounds like a big number, when you put it in perspective, God has worked and God will continue to work. And I'll be very honest, okay? This is not preacher talk. This is honest my heart, okay? You cut me open, I promise you. I have zero doubt that we're going to get there. Zero doubt that we're going to get there that we're going to raise what we need. I have zero doubt. How we get there, uh, ain't just idea. But I know that there's people, people may be watching this right now, that God is going to stir in their hearts. We're going to cross that finish line. And I will be more surprised if we don't reach it than if we do. That's my faith. And I invite you to the same. Last verse I'll leave you with right here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our God is a big God, not like us. And he likes it when we challenge assumptions and we dream big and we pray bold because that's what faithful vision is all about. Let's stand together and pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this chance to stand in front of you because you are a big God and you do extraordinary things all the time. And we're asking you, Lord, that you would increase our faith in you to believe in you and to rely on you, whether it's personal stuff or family stuff or relationship stuff or together collectively, Lord, we're praying for the church that you would do an extraordinary work, that you would stir in people's hearts now, that you would raise the money needed and that you would richly bless and abundantly reward those who give generously to your holy name. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions of all your saints. Here says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We want to invite you one more time to partner with us in bringing an ancient faith to a modern world by donating any amount to morethanabuilding.org. Follow us on social media for real-time updates and even more inspiration during the week.